We are making our way through the book of Matthew here at Emmanuel, and we are finishing up chapter 25 today. Uh, For those of you visiting with us, many of which are my family, uh, I actually thought about uh, changing the text today uh, to something that you would ordinarily think might go along with baptism. But then I thought, nah, let's just go with whatever God had lined up uh, this day as we worked our way through Matthew. And so we'll be in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Um, That is page 988 in the Pew Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus, continuing to teach his disciples the Mount of Olives, says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, Then he will say, sorry, then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as always, we come before you humble, knowing that only by the power of your Holy Spirit can we understand your word. We pray, Father, that you would grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, that we might see the greatness of your love towards sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage is obviously about the final judgment. It's about the time when we will all stand before Jesus as the judge to give him an account for our lives. And what's interesting about this passage is there's no mention of anyone committing adultery or greed, nothing about drunkenness or idolatry. There's also nothing about being a great preacher or healing and casting out demons. None of those grand sins or grand good works are mentioned. 
There's also no mention about whether someone was baptized or not. Instead, the big difference Jesus chooses to highlight between those who will be saved and those who will be cursed on the last day is how people treated him. So what Jesus is saying here is that when he evaluates our life, one of the most important pieces of evidence about the true state of our soul is whether or not we cared for Jesus. So here's our outline this morning. First, we're going to look at the details of the final judgment. Then we're going to reverse the order of the passage and first look at the reason some people are cursed and then close by looking at the reason some people are blessed. So let's begin with just the details of the final judgment. Um, So if you are joining us this morning, we have been working through the book of Matthew, and recently we've been in this final teaching of the book of Matthew, uh, mostly referred to as the Olivet Discourse, because it takes place on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem, uh, right before Jesus is betrayed and crucified. And here Jesus is teaching about the future, and first he taught the disciples about their immediate future, leading up to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., And then from that point on, he's been teaching about his second coming, which we all know has not happened yet. And we can sum up his teaching on the second coming this way, very simply. Uh, He is going to return to judge, and we must be ready. And the way to be ready is by receiving his free grace with repentance and faith, and then by living faithfully out of love and gratitude for our God who was so gracious to save us from our sins. And now Jesus is about to describe the moment when he does finally return. And he says this in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. We've noted this as we've gone through Matthew, that when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man... Uh, He's referencing a figure from Daniel chapter 7 who is said there to be like a son of man because he resembles a human being. Uh, But what's interesting about that figure in Daniel 7 is that he's also this glorious, great, heavenly being as well. And in Daniel 7, the father, or the ancient of days, as he's called in Daniel chapter 7, uh, gives the son of man an everlasting kingdom. And so Jesus calls himself the Son of Man throughout the Gospels because he wants us to know that he is the one that Daniel saw in his vision. He is the one who will receive an everlasting kingdom from the Father, or the Ancient of Days. And Jesus is telling us about a future moment now when he, the Son of Man, from Daniel chapter 7, will return to be enthroned in his kingdom, As we saw from chapter 24, this event will be like lightning flashing across the sky. No one is going to miss it. It's going to be completely glorious. Jesus is going to return with all of his angels, he tells us. And then, before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. We know from elsewhere in the New Testament that if we're still alive when this happens, those of us who trust in Jesus, those of us who love him, will be caught up 
into the air with Jesus in this moment. And everyone else who's ever lived will be raised from the dead to stand before Jesus as the judge. And so when Jesus says, all nations will be gathered before him, he literally means all people from every tribe and language and nation and tongue from, from the history of the world. Everyone who's ever lived will stand before him in this moment. This is also the moment when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So we'll all be gathered before him as one crowd of people called the nations, yet the text tells us that he's going to separate us out individually, one from another, depending on whether or not we are a sheep or a goat. Now, sheep, as most of us know, are weak, anxious creatures who are very vulnerable, very dependent on someone providing for their needs, uh, like us, which is why in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, uh, God reminds us that He is the great shepherd and we are the sheep of His pasture. In the book of Ezekiel, God condemns the leaders of Israel for their failure to care for His sheep. And then in the Gospel of John, Jesus famously assures us that He is the good shepherd. He tells us, I know my own, and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Those who belong to Jesus are his sheep. But goats, well, goats are stubborn, frustrating creatures. And Jesus is saying, if you're not a sheep, then you are a goat. There will be no llamas on this day. There is only sheep or goats. On the last day, Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep will be on his right hand, which is the favored position. The goats will be on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the, from the foundation of the world. Notice, the Son of Man is now the king. There is only one God and King, and Jesus is saying, I am Him. And He says to those on His right, come. And then in verse 41, the goats are judged. He says, then He will say to those on His left, depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So on that last day, we're either a sheep or a goat. We're either welcomed and told to come, or we're rejected and told to depart. We're either blessed or we're cursed. We either enter the kingdom or we go into eternal fire. There is no in-between. It is one or the other. And then Jesus concludes this way. And these, talking about the goats who've been told to depart, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So a couple of things we can say for sure, just from this passage alone. Hell is real. Hell is eternal. Hell is punishment for sin. And hell is a place of eternal fire. We also know from very recently in the book of Matthew that it's also a place of outer darkness. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, no one can say precisely what it's going to be like, but it's as least at least it is as bad as being in outer darkness, crying forever, gnashing your teeth while on fire. 
Which makes you wonder, how can someone know if he's blessed or cursed on this day? So first we're going to look at the reason some people are cursed. I imagine if we took to the streets and we asked people, like, is hell real? Uh, who's going there? And, and how would you know? We would get some very interesting answers. Uh, some would probably say, well, nobody goes to hell. Others would say, only bad people like Hitler, Mussolini, they're the ones who would go to hell. But in our passage, Jesus gives a very surprising reason why people will be cursed at the final judgment. But before we get to that reason, I want to point out something else from verse 41. Verse 41 is where we're told, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. What I want us to see here is that God did not make hell for people. God made hell for the devil and his angels who had already fallen. God says this to the prophet Ezekiel. He says, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? This is the heart of God. Paul tells Timothy, that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Human beings are cursed because human beings have sinned. And human beings are cursed and sent out of the presence of God because they refuse to turn from their sin, because they loved darkness instead of light. And the sin now that Jesus highlights is not immorality, it's not drunkenness, it's not greed, it's not the things that we normally associate. No, in this passage, Jesus tells us that the reason people are judged, the minimum bar that they fail to get over, is because they didn't care for Jesus. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Notice, they're not condemned because they didn't care for the hungry, the sick, and the prisoner in general. In fact, there are many Many non-believers who would put all of us to shame with their level of good works in this department. No, they're condemned because they didn't care for Jesus when he was hungry and thirsty. They didn't clothe Jesus when he was naked, sick, and in prison. Which makes you wonder, well, when did they ever have a chance to care for Jesus, which is exactly their question. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Notice they call him Lord because even though their fate is sealed in this moment, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Also, notice they're not arguing with Jesus about their eternal destiny. There's no repentance here. They're asking an honest question. They would like to know, when did we ever have a chance to minister to you, 
You were alive for 33 years in a small plot of land in the Middle East? When did we ever have that opportunity? Most of these goats are thinking, I never even met the guy. Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So there's a group of people who are so identified with Jesus, called the least of these. There's a group of people who when you care for them, you're caring for Jesus. And least of these could actually be translated littlest of these. Well, who are Jesus' little ones? They're his people. They're his children. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus told his disciples, whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You see, these people are being judged because they did not care for the least of one of Jesus' disciples when they were hungry, thirsty, naked, or in prison. See, Jesus is talking about Christians here. He's talking about the church. Remember when Jesus confronts Paul on the road to Damascus? Paul had been persecuting the church, and Jesus asks him, Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. When people persecute Christians, they're persecuting Jesus. Not only that, but if someone is indifferent to God's people, if they have no love for Christians, Jesus says, then you also have no love for me. On that last day, Jesus will curse those who didn't care for him because they didn't care about Jesus' people. If you don't love and care for Christians, Jesus is saying you are not a Christian. The most basic evidence of whether or not someone has truly received Jesus is if he or she loves other Christians. You could be the greatest philanthropist in the world. But if you don't love God's people, you don't love Jesus. And incidentally, Many of you have probably heard an uh, understanding of this passage, which basically teaches that it's actually philanthropy and good works and caring for the poor in general that Jesus is talking about here. But that is a wrong interpretation of this passage. So, that is why some people are cursed. What is the reason some people are blessed? The main reason someone is cursed is because they didn't care for Jesus by failing to love and care for Jesus' people. It would seem then that the reason someone is blessed is because they did care for Jesus by caring for Jesus' people. Does this mean that we had better get out there and find some hungry, naked, imprisoned Christians or we're going to find ourselves on the outside looking in on that last day? Is that what Jesus is trying to say here? 
I would say it's probably okay to take this passage as a uh, encouragement to get out of our comfort zone. I'd say that's probably legitimate. But let's look at Jesus' actual words here. He says, And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You see, the reason someone is blessed is because the Father has blessed you. When did he do that? From before the foundation of the world, he had decided to prepare a kingdom for you to inherit. Before Christians were born or had done anything good or bad, God had already chosen his people. He's already prepared a kingdom for them. And usually when we inherit something, we inherit it because our parents die, but God will never die. The inheritance God chooses to give to us is one that he just gives us freely from his riches, from the riches of his glory. Jesus says this in Luke's gospel. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The reason someone is a sheep is because of God's good pleasure. The Apostle Paul writes this to the Ephesians. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, talking to Christians, in Christ. How has he blessed us? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. And when did he do that? Paul tells us, before the foundation of the world. Why did he do that? Paul tells us, so that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for what? Adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why? He just purposed it. When? We don't know. He just willed to do it. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is why someone is a sheep. There is nothing we could ever do to make ourselves a sheep. We could never do enough good works. In fact, we all continue to sin every single day. The only reason anyone ever becomes a sheep is because God blessed us and chose us and gave us his kingdom. Which means the real question is, well, how can I know if God has blessed me like that? How can someone who's been baptized know their baptism is a sign that God has united them to Christ and washed away all their sins? The unanimous testimony of Scripture is that all anyone must do is simply believe. Believe that sin is misery and that a life of sin is the life of a goat. But that Jesus will forgive you and free you from that life. Believe that when Jesus says, fear not, little flock, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, that he's talking to you. Just believe it. The main reason someone is blessed is because he or she believes God's promise that he has prepared a kingdom for them from before the foundation of the world. And if you can hear his voice, in those promises today, 
that you are his sheep and that nothing will snatch you out of his hand, then those promises belong to you. But Jesus does add another reason why his sheep are blessed. He says that is because they cared for him. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. See, Jesus is clearly saying that one of the reasons Christians will be saved on that final day is because they cared for Jesus when he was hungry and thirsty and naked and in prison. And as we noted earlier, Jesus is talking about caring for other Christians. But notice, his sheep are just as confused as the goats were. They don't remember doing any of this. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? They don't know they've done anything. They're like all of us. Probably more aware of all the ways we still fall short than we are of all the ways we love and care for Jesus. But here Jesus is at the final judgment praising them. He doesn't condemn them because there is now no condemnation if you are in Christ because they belong to Him. He praises them, and he heaps acclamation on them. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. His sheep have cared for the least of these, my brothers. Jesus' brothers are always his disciples. In fact, earlier in Matthew, there was that scene, if you remember, Jesus' Mother and brothers come to get him because they're kind of embarrassed about him, making all these grandiose claims about himself. But Jesus replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, one of the reasons... We will be counted as one of Jesus' sheep, blessed of his Father on that day of judgment is because we cared for the littlest of Jesus' brothers when they were in need. But we won't even know we did it. Because we weren't doing it to earn our place in heaven. We were doing it because God had already blessed us and made us his sheep. We were just doing what sheep do, which is to love our fellow Christians. You see, we keep this commandment by simply caring for each other. And I am convinced that if one of us were in prison, we would be visited. If one of us were ever hungry or naked, we would be clothed by each other. This is what Christians do. This is what I see you do all the time. Visiting each other in your illnesses. Caring for one another. Not to earn God's blessing. Not to earn our inheritance, but because we are sheep. And sheep hear Jesus' voice, and Jesus' sheep love other sheep. 
John, Jesus said this, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Later in John's epistle, he goes on to say this, he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. This is why it is impossible to be a Christian and to not be part of a church. One of the most basic changes of heart that happen inside someone who has truly repented of their sin and put their trust in Jesus is that we love other Christians. We love being with other Christians. We love to care for other Christians. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't care for non-Christians. We do, absolutely. It just means that's not what Jesus is teaching in this passage. Go to the story about the Good Samaritan. Clearly, we are to love our neighbor. Jesus even commands us to love our enemies. But the best way to love our neighbor and to love our enemy is to share with them the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection so they can become a fellow sheep. We must care more about the eternal punishment people will face at the final judgment than we do about whatever struggles they happen to be experiencing now. Paul captures all of this really well in Galatians 6.10. He says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, of course, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And as we do, we will be caring for Jesus himself, and so proving that we are one of his disciples. And this morning, my daughter was welcomed in to the household of faith. Grace was told that she is one of Jesus' little ones. And she will grow up knowing that God has identified her with those who are blessed of the Father. And if she is going to stand on the day of judgment, it won't be because she was baptized or welcomed into this community. It will be because she receives Jesus. It will be because she receives all of God's many great promises to her and then loves fellow Christians as a result. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to know that our impulse to care for each other and to love one another is not only a command, but it's an expectation and it's evidence of true faith. Father, help us to never feel guilty for prioritizing the care of one another, but help us to never exclude the care of all people. Help us to rightly order our responsibilities as you have laid them out in Scripture, God. Thank you so much for opening our hearts and minds to see that when we care for one another, we are truly caring for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.